church family, I'm about you to find the book of Ephesians with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, I will begin to read in verse number 17 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin to read in verse number 17. This morning for a few moments I want to speak to you on this subject. Don't live like you're dead. Don't live like you're dead. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 17. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able and honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, begin to read in verse number 17. The Bible says these words, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. Father, I pray if there's one in our midst who's never been saved, who's never turned from sin and been born again, that, God, this would be the day that they do that. And Father, I pray you'll challenge every believer today truly to take inventory of their life. And, God, if there is a habit or a mark on our life that would lead someone to think that we're spiritually dead, God, I pray that we'll forsake that habit that we've allowed the devil to, to build upon in our lives. And that, God, that we'll experience your reviving touch and leave here today with a fresh reconsecration to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious in holy name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Paul's now moving from doctrine to doing. Uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, uh, there was much doctrine to settle them and to ground them in biblical truth about who they are and what Christ has done from them. But it's not enough just to know doctrine, friend, for it to be a benefit in your life. You have to put it into practice. And we saw chapter 4, verse 1 last week. He encouraged the church at Ephesus to walk worthy. That is, walk is the sum total of your lived out faith. That is, to walk worthy of the high calling that Christ uh, died for you. What it is that he gave you when he died upon the cross. And that is, that your life should reflect how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we saw in verse number 7 of chapter 4, Paul began to speak about spiritual gifts and their use in the life of a healthy church body through the lives of Christians who know what those are, they've discovered it, they're developing it, and then they deploy it. And I invite you and I encourage you to be back for discipleship tonight at 6. We're going to have a more focused look tonight at spiritual gifts. And so you need to be back for that tonight. But Paul began to encourage them and to remind them they had spiritual gifts. And in the life of a healthy church body, verse 16, uh, those are put to use and the whole body of Christ benefits for that as they live on mission. Then he contrasts, he begins in the verses that we looked at today, to contrast that healthy functioning church body made up of spiritually healthy disciples with those who are still dead. 
and trespasses and sin. Remember in John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus said, you must be born again. Salvation doesn't come from joining a church or being baptized or adopting a creed or merely just having a Bible or uh, Christian things around your house that are tied to the Christian faith. Salvation comes by turning from sin and trusting Christ to be Lord of your life. That's when you experience what Jesus called in John chapter 3, verse 7, a new birth, a spiritual birth. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, in verse 1, Paul told these believers who had been born again, he said, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And that's how all people are born spiritually. They're born dead. And so in verse 17 of the text we're looking at, just to some background to get to where we're at, Paul says in verse 17, This I say to you and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk, that is, live as the rest of the Gentiles walk and live, in the futility of their mind. He says, don't live like you're dead. Uh, don't live like all these lost people that surround you in Ephesus. And he begins to lay out some marks of spiritual deadness. Uh, verse 17, he says, uh, lost people's thoughts about life, he said, are futile. All the things that they think makes life a success or what it takes to have spiritual success in life or where people are going to go in the end or who, how it is that they're to go. God says none of these things really matter. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8, God declares this. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways, saith the Lord. And from time to time, even within the church, we'll begin to talk to people and someone will say, well, well I just think this. And friend, I want to remind you, God doesn't care what you think. It doesn't matter what you think about spiritual matters. What matters is what God says and that we submit our life to the authority of thus saith the Lord. And so God says one of the marks of a lost person is they think they've got everything figured out, but they don't realize that all of these thoughts that they have about life, they're futile. They burn up in the end. They have no impact whatsoever. Uh, the Bible also goes to say that these individuals who've never been saved, verse 18, they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. They have no spiritual understanding whatsoever. You begin to try to talk to them about spiritual things, and they just sit and stare at you like a calf that's looking at a new gate, just trying to figure out what's happened, what's, what's changed. They, they don't understand. And sometimes, friend, you, you sit and try to talk to people within the life of the church about spiritual things, and they just sit and give you that same kind of glare, that same look. And Paul says there's a reason for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, The natural man perceives not the things of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them for their spiritually discerned. What's he saying? He's saying, only when the Holy Spirit lives within the heart and life of an individual after salvation can you truly understand spiritual doctrines and spiritual truth. Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 6 and began to read in verse number 60. Now, Jesus had developed a crowd, and they called themselves disciples. Don't miss this. They said, we're followers of Christ. We, we like what's happening. When Jesus shows up, there's a good floor show. Uh, blind people can see, crippled people can walk. He feeds us, he entertains us, I and mean, he just took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. And Jesus began to lay out what it really meant to be a disciple and why he had truly come and what his life was going to be about. And as these people listened to this, as he said, look, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Literally, I'm that manna 
You, you, your forefathers ate on manna, he says, but I am the bread of life which has come down to save men's souls. Now listen to what verse 60 says. These individuals who were so sharp, I mean, they had the tiger by the tail, and they had it all figured out. They called themselves followers of Christ. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard, stand, a hard saying. Who can understand it? They said, we don't, we don't understand. You're talking to us about following and dying to self and we're going to have to internalize you and you're the bread that comes down out of heaven. They said, we don't, we don't understand this. Can't you give us something easier? Friend, I will tell you why they didn't understand it. They didn't want to understand it. They, they had figured out who they wanted Christ to be and that was their political Messiah. They wanted a new governor that would move Rome out of the way, Israel into first place, but nobody was going to be Lord over their life. And so they wouldn't receive those truths. They, they just said, you know, we can't, we can't understand these things. In verse number 64, Jesus says, but there's some of you who do not believe. The reason they couldn't understand is because they wouldn't believe on him. They would not trust him to be Lord of their life. They wanted all the spiritual free stuff, but they didn't want Jesus to be Lord of their life. And friend, 2,000 years later, it's no different. You meet people every single day here in the South. They don't want to die and go to hell. They don't want to be in the hospital. They want their bank account to be full. They want, they want this, all of God's blessings, but nobody's going to be Lord over their life. And so they, they, they won't believe on Jesus. They believe Jesus is God's Son. They believe Jesus died on the cross, but they will not trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so therefore, don't miss this, they're never born again. They're never indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And they're not under, able to understand the deeper truths of Scripture as a result. And so when you try to talk to them about those things, even though they saved their disciples, they just sit and give you that thousand-yard stare. And as you try to lead the church into deeper discipleship, they say, I just, we just don't understand what's going on. We're going somewhere where it's easier to understand what's being said. And the reason why is this, friend, they've never been born again. Spiritually, they're dead. They're absolutely dead. And because of that, verse 18, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says because of that, because they have the understanding darkened, they're alienated from the life of God. What does that mean? They're lost. John 10, 10, Jesus says, thief comes but to steal, kill, destroy. I've come that you might have life. And they don't have that life. John 3, 7, you must be born again. Because they will not receive the gospel. They will not. They've got it here. They believe Jesus died on the cross. But they won't receive him as Lord of their life. Because of that, friend, their, their mind, their understanding is darkened. And they're alienated from the life of God. You see, friend, the cross is, is, is not only an offense, it's a fence. You see, but because of God's word, friend, it gives me the assurance there is no way that I can ever go to hell because the cross stands between me and hell. But if you've never been saved, friend, you can't go to heaven because the cross stands between you and heaven. But if you'll get placed on the right side of the cross as you receive Jesus into your heart, then you can say, friend, it is well with my soul. John can't continue... Uh, Jesus began to speak again in John chapter 6, verse 65. And listen to what he said. He said, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew who from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And I want to remind you again, friend, listen. 
God knows who is and who isn't. He knows who's alive and who's not alive. Verse 65, then Jesus says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. Well, what's that mean? Through the plan of salvation. Anyone can come, but there's only one way to come, friend, and it's through Jesus. You say, well, I was watching Oprah. Well, that was your first problem right there. And you say, and Oprah said, man, that all, all paths lead to heaven. Friend, they don't. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. It's narrow. It's exclusive. But friend, it's open to all. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, that gave his only begotten Son death. Whosoever. That's you. For God so loved Chad. They gave his only begotten son that if Chad would believe in him, he wouldn't perish. They have the opportunity to experience eternal life in Christ. That's, that's personal, friend. God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you, but you must choose to personally respond to the gospel. It's a choice. Listen, look at verse 18 of Ephesians 4 again. That lost people who are dead in their sins, they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And it's willful ignorance. They're not able to personally experience Christ because they choose not to. The song that they played this morning at the beginning of the service, Whosoever will, friend, can come and dine. There is room at the cross for you. But you've got to choose. You can, again, we live in America, the land of the offended. Everything's somebody's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the police's fault. It's the politician's fault. It's the, you know, the waterworks' fault. It's, it's the guy that built my house's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. Everything's somebody else's fault. Listen, friend, if you die and go to hell, it's no one's fault but yours. Christ died for you. God sent his son. He's done everything short of violating your free will to see you born again. It's willful ignorance. It's an absence of truth that's been received. And because of that, continue to look at verse 19. There's a problem, friend. You continue to turn Christ away and say no to the gospel, who being past feeling have given themselves now over to lewdness. Now when there was once a tenderness, now when once when just as I am was played, and it was white knuckle on the back of the pew, the person's heart broke and tears flowed down their eyes, and they knew they needed to be born again. Now the Spirit of God no longer calls. Genesis 6 says, My Spirit will not always strive with man. And just because God calls you to be saved today, friend, doesn't mean that He'll call tomorrow. And so they, they've passed the deadline now. Now they're, they're past feeling. And now they've abandoned themselves to sin. Just abandoned themselves. You know, and as Christians, since we get caught up and say, well, I just don't know why these people just disgust me, how these people live. And I just, I don't understand this. They just, these people disgust me. Friend, listen, their sin all disgusts you, but you all love their soul. If you're not careful, that disgust for behavior will turn into hatred for the person. I want to remind you, every person you look at, friend, is a soul for whom Jesus died. And you know the reason they act the way they do? Because they're lost. They're lost. I don't like when my dog sits and barks at the deer at night. But you know what? I don't bring them inside and say, why are you acting like a dog? I don't understand that. You know why he acts like a dog? He's a dog. Don't you listen to me, friend. The reason lost people act like lost people is because they're lost. They're lost, and so did you before you trusted Christ. So did you. That's what, look what Paul says in verse number 20. He says, but you, but you, 
He says, you've not so learned. That's, Paul says, that's the way you used to be. You used to be dead in trespasses to sin. And so now's the encouragement that Paul gives four things to encourage us not to live like we're dead, like we're spiritually dead. He says, but, but that's you, the, the lost world around you. He said, that's everything that's happening in Ephesus. Paul says, but that's not the life of a born-again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, child of God. Paul says, you're not supposed to live like you're dead. There ought to be something about your life at all times that shows a lost and dying world that the Spirit of God lives within your heart. Four things Paul shares that must be realities in our life if we would not live like a lost person. Number one, be receptive to truth. Be receptive to truth. Look at verse 20 again. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. That means you've, you've received truth into your heart, not only intellectually, that's where it starts. But by faith, you've acted upon it. You've trusted in the gospel. You've turned from sin. And now by faith, you've been born again. And again, that's how far most people are from salvation in the South, about 18 inches. You need to be aware of that as you're witnessing to people. You'll dare meet many people who, I mean, are died in the wool, born and bred south of the Mason-Dixon, who don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and he's God's son. You'll not meet many people that don't. But the question is whether they've ever taken that truth and acted upon it and received him as Lord of their life into their, into their heart. That's the difference. Paul says, not you. You're not, you. you're not like that. He says, not by mental sin. Now, I want to remind you, friend, listen. You can fake faith with some people. Don't, don't think, though. Well, now, these are four things I need to do, even though I'm lost, to act like I'm saved and everything's going to be fine. No, friend, that's not what Paul's teaching. Paul says, not so you, you who have already been born again. And you may can fake faith, and you can fool your spouse, and you can fool me. I'm not hard to fool, but I'll tell you something, friend. You can't fool God. He knows who is, and he knows who isn't. He knows the haves, and he knows the have-nots. And he'll check birth certificates one day, friend. Nobody's going to slip into heaven, friend, that doesn't belong there. And he desires all people to come. But it's only those who spiritually have been born again. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaks about the wheat and the tare. They both look the same to the untrained eye. But the farmer knows how to separate that which is real from that which is not. And the wheat is brought into the storehouse and the tare is burned in judgment. Jesus later gives another parable in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the dragnet. Where the fisherman goes through, this is a keeper, this isn't a keeper. And only the fish that are keepers, friend, are brought in. Friend, I'm telling you, the only people going to heaven are the keepers who have turned and trusted Jesus Christ. Can't say it enough. You must be born again. He says, be, be receptive to truth. Verse number 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. That is, to know him by personal experience. That is, you have a saving personal relationship with Him. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. And so it's not just in the initial response of the gospel, but it's all of the Word of God as it, as it marks your life. If indeed you've heard, verse 21, indeed you've been taught. Well, what is it that an individual has heard? Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, Jesus says to all people, Come unto me. 
All you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Verse 21. If indeed, if. He says it's, it's conditional, it's the only way. He says, do this if you receive Jesus Christ, then you have spiritual life. If. There's no other way. He said, well, that, there's no other way. I don't care what book you've read, what you've heard somebody say, the Word of God says, friend, there's no way to be saved and to be born again except repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so if you've done this, then you have life. But then, friend, you've got to continue on to experience life more abundantly, John 10, 10. There's no way around it. After salvation, you must continue, friend, to receive truth and act on it. That's the only way you can experience God's best. And that's the reason so many Christians' lives are just miserable. They've trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, but then they backslide into self-ship, not lordship. And so I, I'm going to allow Jesus to take me to heaven and to be Lord over this and be Lord over that. But now I'm going to, I'm going to you know, I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm going to be Lord over this. Then, friend, then it's on you and God's not going to bless you. And I want to share with you something, friend. You're missing out because what you think is best, it's not. It's subpar. Only that which God has planned for you is best. That's the abundant life. And so it's continuing to be receptive of truth of God's word. If. He says, indeed, you have heard him and been taught by him. As a disciple, Matthew 28, teaching and observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's about reaching, but it's also about teaching. That's why, that's, what, that's why we use our spiritual gifts. It all works together in the teaching ministries of the church to give you truth that you receive and then you act upon. If you don't want to live like your dead spiritually, friend, be receptive to truth. Number two, Paul says, be repentant of sin. Be repentant of sin. Of sin. Now, the three C's of repentance are to concur, to confess, and change. You've got to agree with God. That's concur. If the Bible says it's sin, the Bible says you're a sinner, Romans, uh, Romans 3, 23, you are. I am. And if the Holy Spirit of God puts his finger on something in your life as a believer and says that's sin, it's sin. And so you've got to concur. But then you've got to confess. It's not enough just to agree. You've got to say, God, I've done this. Against you and you only have I done this. And now listen, if it's real repentance, it's going to lead to change. It's going to lead to change. It's like the child, you know, that gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar and you told them don't put your hand in the cookie jar, but they saw the cookies, they wanted it, and they had to have one, and you call them with their hand in the cookie jar, and you say, I told you not to put your hand in the cookie jar. And they drop the cookie and they go, I'm sorry. Didn't I tell you don't put your hand in the cookie jar? Yes, you did. So they're concurring. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, don't do it again. I won't. And you come back around the corner and they've got, I mean, they're elbow deep in it. Was that real repentance? No. Because there wasn't change. And so when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you about something as a believer, that the Bible says is sin, or the Bible says that you're too doing. Remember the book of James says, to him does do good, not to him it's, it's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission. And the Spirit of God begins to put His finger upon you and to convict you and push down on you. Like Psalm 51, you're miserable because of it. You say, God, I concur. That's sin. God, I'm sorry. 
Listen to me, friend. If that concurrence and that confession doesn't lead to change, it wasn't real repentance. It wasn't real repentance. And so the Bible says, be, be repentant of, of sin. Look what verse 22 says. Paul says that as you continue to grow, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. He says, That's, that means put away the old you. Well, who was the old you? Verses 17 through 19. That was you. That's you. That, but it's just natural. Why does the dog bark? Because it's a dog. Why does a cat meow? Because it's a cat. Why does a sinner sin? Because they're a sinner. He says, he says but, but you've got to put off that old man. And though the old man's always going to be there, the old woman, listen, you're going to deal with the old you spiritually until you step into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, every day you've got to continue to put that away. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is after salvation. Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or you do not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, even so also should we walk in newness of life. Paul says that once saved, there ought to be a change in your life. If you repented, Luke 13, 3, Jesus says, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. When you trusted Christ, if you said, God, I concur, I'm a sinner. God, I confess my sin. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want to be saved. Take my life. Mold me, make me into the person you want me to be. And friend, there's never been change. Then there never was real repentance. He says there's going to be change because the Holy Spirit now lives within your heart. And because of that, friend, we've been set free. Romans chapter 6, verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Not only sin's penalty, but sin's possession. And that's one I deal with all the time talking with people. Well, Brother Chad, I just can't help it. My mom was that way. Or I've got the gene, I've got the addiction gene. No, friend, if you've been saved, you've got the Holy Spirit, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the reason the person can't give up a sin if they've been saved, it's because they don't want to give it up. They don't want to give it up. Don't you buy into all this today. Well, they can't help. They were, they were born that way. No, friend, if you've been saved, you've been born again that way. And you have the opportunity to experience the life of Christ. Do you understand that this morning? I get worried to listen. You don't have to shout this false amen. It's like a yapping dog. But, I mean, when, but when people just sit and stare at me, I share to them, are you getting it? Lost people are born with a lost sin nature. It comes natural. But when you're born again spiritually, friend, it comes natural to want to live, to do, and to be a part of the things of God because the Spirit of God lives within your heart. You've been set free, Romans says. You've been set free. So you don't have to be a victim to your sin nature. You don't have to be a victim to the old man. So Luke 13, 3, friend, there's going to be initial repentance, but there must also be a continuance of repentance that's marked by change. Every single day, friend, we must continue to concur with what the Word of God says is right and with what the Word of God says is wrong. And when our lives fail, when we find ourselves coming short, we must confess that immediately. 
And our lives daily must continue to change into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. I want to remind you, though, friend, listen, because some preachers, you know, make feel, we know you sinned, and you're like, well, maybe you're lost because you sinned. You're always going to deal with the old you. That's the need to be in the Word. That's the need to be filled with the Spirit. The devil tried to make you think, friend, listen, I mean, you take the, take the training wheels off, man, to, to take your hands off the wheel, and it's just free. It's just one easy coast all the way to heaven. Not so, friend. Ephesians 6, it is warfare. It's warfare every day. You have an enemy against your soul who is after you. But the Bible says, friend, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit led the greatest of all Christians to write this verse. Write it down. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 15. Listen to what Paul says. And just with such humility, Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. Now listen. He said, For what I will to do, that is to honor God in all things, to live a surrendered life to Christ, he says, That I do not. He says, That I don't practice. He says, but that which I hate, sin, he says, that I do. This is the greatest of all Christians who ever lived. Paul said, I'm still struggling with the old me. Saul is still popping his head up in my life. Paul says, I'm dealing with that every day. Friend, listen, if you're not, not going to live like a dead person, you must constantly be in the place of repentance. You must constantly be repentant of sin. Continually, you must concur, you must confess, and there must be change into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Number three, if you're not going to live like a dead person, number three, you must be renewed in spirit. Daily renewed in spirit. Look at verse number 23 of Ephesians chapter 4, which is, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, listen to what Paul writes. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says, just as there were sacrifices that were placed upon an Old Testament altar and slippery and wet, I'm not trying to gross you out, but they were all bloody and just full of wetness, and they'd be on top of that altar and sliding off. Paul says, so every day you've got to put your life on the altar of sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Not one leg hanging off. That's all of your life on the altar of sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Jesus, take my life and lead me, Lord. He says, you've got to stay on there. And you've got to realize that every day we're confronted by a worldview through media, through movies, through songs, through lost people, all these voices who are telling us how we should look at the world. Now listen to me. If you're not careful, just like we saw Wednesday night, Absalom did to the people of Israel, the devil will steal your heart away from God. You'll begin to think that things that the Bible says are wrong are really all right. And you'll begin to think that things the Bible says are right and perfect and natural that really aren't wrong. My friend, you'll probably even find some churches that'll agree with you. But you've got to continue to turn to the Word of God. It's all of that trash and all of that gunk is trying to attach itself to your mind and to your life. You've got to be washed. You've got to daily be renewed and cleansed. And that's why Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 26, that Christ, when He died on the cross, 
He died and gave himself as a husband loves his wife and is to love his wife, that Jesus might sanctify the church and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. It's as we daily turn to the Word of God through personal study and through meditation and then acting upon it. Friend, listen, that God gets all the gunk of this world out of our thinking. He gets all the matter out of our eyes so that we can clearly see the world and respond the way God wants us to. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth, God. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart for an exclusive use. Jesus said, God, take the church, take those that are going to respond to the gospel, those Christians in Ephesus, that crowd up at Greenwood, God, 2,000 years later, take them, God, and sanctify them, clean them up, clean their minds. Help them to see what's right. Help them to see what's wrong according to your word because your word is truth. He said, help them to see those things. Friend, David, if you're going to live like you're not dead, you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Remember, we were going through our studies in the book of Exodus probably three years ago. We we did a a several-month study on the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 30 began to deal with the laver. The laver was one of those uh, those, uh, furnishings that they were to build, and it was to be outside the tabernacle. And as the priests daily moved about, just in daily service to the Lord, they got the gunk of, of, of service on their hands. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 20, said that, that those that served were to daily wash themselves that they might be fit for service. And friend, what cleans your mind and helps you to see the reality of what really is, is study of the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says this, listen, as a man thinks, as a person thinks, so is he. So is he. Don't you listen to me. If you fill your mind with the false doctrine of this world, that sex before marriage is okay, that just a little line isn't really a big deal, that it's only just a few dollars I'm embezzling, that, well, it's really not, it's really not gossip. Well, I can just give part of my life. I don't have to witness. I don't have to read my Bible. All these things that the world says is right, anything the devil can sow into your life to keep you from being the fully functioning disciple that Christ wants you to be, if you allow those things to be there, friend, you can't be effective. As a man thinks, that's how you're going to perform. But as you constantly read God's Word and you meditate upon God's Word, you're going to practice God's Word. You're going to practice it. Why does a preacher always say, come back to discipleship? Because you need God's Word in order to perform correctly. Why do we want you to be in a connection class on Sunday morning? So you can study God's Word and it'll be a part of your life. Parents, why are we constantly bring your kids to Bible study? Have family altar every night. Teach the Word of God to your kids. Why are we doing that? Because the world's going to teach them. And you better give them truth so that they can perform correctly. You've got to renew your mind. God's Word renews your mind as we daily surrender our will and our life to His Lordship. Our mind understands His Word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then we must, number four, be righteous in living. It's not enough just to know it, but you've got to put that Word into practice. If you're not going to live like a dead person, you've got to be righteous in living. Look at verse number 24 of Ephesians 4. He says, and, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and 
holiness, to put on the new man, the new you that God wants you to be. I'm thankful for that. I'm telling you. I remember I got to a place in my life in 1999, I was sick and tired of being me. You may have never been there. But I'm telling you, I came to a place in my life, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anybody ever been there before? Just sick and tired. And I said, Lord, I don't care where you want me to go, I don't care what you want me to do. But you're, I'm, I'm all in for the first time. I want you to be Lord over everything. And friend, I'm telling you, God gave me a new life, a new walk, new desires. And I just want to say, friend, I'm a satisfied customer. I'm a satisfied customer. Thank God for that. And so he began to lead me into the, to the new person that he wanted me to be. And friend, when that's going to happen, our lives must be marked by true righteousness and holiness. And it's just a byproduct. It's not something you try to do. It's just as you naturally obey the Word of God, then that's going to be the testimony of your life. It's going to be the testimony. As you do God's Word, whatever it is, as you obey His will, your life's going to be marked by true righteousness and holiness. Now, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to our lives when we trust Christ. You can't manufacture it. It can't be self, self-willed together because it'll fall apart and burn apart in the presence of God. But the righteousness of His Son will not be. That's why Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. As we're doers of the Word, listen to me, God sees His Son in us. He sees it. You know, I'm old enough now to watch my children and say, well, you know, well, they're, that's like Melissa. That when they're bad, it's always blamed on me. Well, they're just like daddy, you know, when they're bad. If they're good, well, they're just like Melissa. So we can, see our, we can see ourselves in our kids. And you can see yours in your kids and in your grandkids. Sometimes you see things you're proud of. Some things you, sometimes you see things that you can't. Listen, when you obey the Word of God, God looks at you and He sees His Son in you. Isn't that great? He doesn't see the old you anymore. He sees the righteousness and the life of Christ in you. If you're not going to live like a dead person, your life must be marked by true righteousness and holiness. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, well, I, just, I don't know if I can live up to that standard. Friend, you don't have to live up to that standard. Look at me. Everybody look at me. You just have to let Christ live through you. Did you get that? Listen to me. He said, I can't do that. I just, I, I, can't, I can't achieve those things. You don't have to. Make yourself available. Yield yourself to God, friend, and let the Holy Spirit work through you. Listen to what Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, that life of holiness, that life of righteousness, that I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says if you're going to live like you've got true spiritual life and not like a dead person, friend, again, godliness is not invisible. It's going to be evident. It's going to be seen. And go again to verse number 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. He says, Don't live like a dead person. John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus waited purposely. When we got there, the hearts of all were broken. Lord, why didn't you come? Why didn't, why didn't you show up on time? Why, why were you late? God had a plan and God had a purpose. Remember in John chapter 11 and verse number 44, after Jesus had said, Lazarus, come forth. 
Lazarus been, I mean, been dead. He, he, had, he was stinking. He'd been dead. His body had already begun to decompose. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come back. And friend, listen, his soul was reunited with his body. His body was made whole. And he came walking out of the grave, but something was different when he came out. He was still bound in grave clothes. He was still walking like a dead man. They bound him up, friend, like a dead man because he was dead. Do you get that? They put him in the grave. They bound him up like a mummy because he was graveyard dead. But when Jesus showed up and Jesus touched his life, life came back to Lazarus. And Lazarus came walking out of that tomb, friend. He was alive inside the grave clothes, but he was still bound. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 11? He said, loose him and let him go. He said, get those old grave clothes off him so he can live and he can move and he can breathe. And in John chapter 12, we see him sitting down fellowshipping, sharing a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what was Jesus saying? He says, you've got to get those old dead grave clothes off him so he can live like a live person, not like a dead person. That's what Paul's saying. Don't let your life be marked by filth and by sin. Let it be marked by holiness and by righteousness. I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody look up here at me. John chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus said, you must be born again. January 5th, 1973. That's my birthday. Say yours in your head. That's your birthday. That's when your mama walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Doctor slapped your backside, and you gave evidence of life. You began to cry. That's your physical birth. When's your spiritual birthday? You may not remember the date. I don't remember mine. I remember where I was. I remember the Spirit of God gripped my heart. I looked at Mom and Daddy, and they nodded. I went down the aisle, and I prayed with Dr. Gary Herring. I trusted Christ to be Lord of mine. I gave all of me that I knew to give to Jesus. I don't remember the date, but I remember where I was. I remember, my anniversary's tomorrow. If I hadn't put it in my phone, I'd forgot it. I don't even remember my anniversary date some days. But listen, I'll never forget where I was. I'll never forget when she came down that aisle. I'll never forget when the preacher said, do you? I said, I do, she did. We smooched, and out the door we went, husband and wife. I remember. Do you remember when you were born again? Truly born again? If you don't, friend, listen. Stop living like a dead person or stop trying to act like an alive person. Stop trying because it's going to burn off at some point. You can fake faith, friend, for only so long. And I promise you, when you draw your last breath on earth, unless Christ comes for its church, it's going to happen. This year's my name's Chad and yours is what it is. You will draw your last breath someday, friend, and you will die. It's appointed to man once to die. And if you've not been born again, you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. It doesn't matter how, how, tried, how good you tried to be, how faithful you were to the church, how active you were in ministries. If you've not been born again, you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. But you don't have to. Just like those Christians at Ephesus did, and just like I did, and many others have, you can respond to the gospel today, and you can be saved from your sin, but you must choose to respond to that truth. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Don't pack up. Don't move around. Church, won't you pray? Won't you pray? You say, I know I need to be saved. I've never really been born again. Then do it right now. 
choose today to repent of all your sin. Concur with God that you're a sinner. Confess that sin. Say, Lord, that's me. I've done these things. And then by faith, would you not trust Jesus today to be Lord of you? Just lay your life at his feet and say, be Lord of... Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, be Lord of me. Make me into the person you want me to be. Would you be willing to tell him that right now? The Bible says if you'll call upon him, friend, he'll save you. He'll save you. And he'll begin to change you. But you've got to respond to the gospel. Do it right now. Silently where you sit. Pray just like this. God, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me on the cross, Jesus. You died in my place. I believe you rose from the grave. And I want you to come live now in my heart and be Lord over all of me. I'm giving you all my life, every bit of it. Every bit of it. Be Lord of my life. Make me into the person you want me to be. Make me into the person you want me to be. That's my prayer. Did you pray that prayer? Did you meet with all your heart? I'm going to invite you, if you did, to step out into one of these aisles. Don't be bashful. Don't be ashamed. Friend, Jesus died in agony and shame on the hilltop in front of everyone because he loves you. Can't you be bold enough to step out into one of these aisles and come forward and say, I've trusted Christ. All we want to do is encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. You say, I know I'm saved. I remember that spiritual birth date. All right, here's the next question. Listen, don't miss it. Listen. Are there people in your home, people in your neighborhood, people you work with who see habits, tendencies, part of your life that would lead them to think, really, you're lost and not saved? I mean, day in, day out habits. They're just part of your life. Your speech, things you do, things you're not doing that you should do that really lead them to think spiritually you're dead. Don't let it be that way. As the Spirit of God points those things out this morning, once you turn from them, lay them again at the feet of Jesus and pray just like this this morning. God, forgive me. God, I've been living like I'm dead in parts of my life. I see that this morning. God, I turn from those things today. God, the same unseen hand that touched my soul years ago and saved me, touch me again today and clean me. I know I've never lost my salvation, but I've lost my testimony. I want my life to be marked by spiritual faithfulness. I want the world to see Jesus in me today. I turn from these things, revive me and touch me. Father, speak to your church today, all those that are here. We pray for decisions that need to be made. God, you may be leading someone, this is the church family they're going to link their life with. We pray that they'll respond to your will today. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts, God, help us now to bow our will to yours. Your best might come about. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Can you